0: and peace and blessing be to each of you this morning in the name of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us of a man who got off of a great big boat we call the Ark, and it was at that moment that the Lord spoke to him and made a promise. He said that while earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer and day and night. Shall not cease. Of course, that was Noah and his family, his wife and his three sons and their wives, and they had just gone through a a year more of a, of a pretty traumatic experience. The world as they knew it was gone, been destroyed. They were starting out new. They had seen the the judgment of the Lord, but also the faithful faithfulness of the Lord in saving them through that great flood. And of course, they needed some assurance, some comfort, some courage, some strength. And so God placed that rainbow in the sky and he made a promise that seed time and harvest, heat and cold, winter and summer, day and night shall not cease. You know, many years after that, there was another man whom the Lord spoke to. His name was Abraham. He was well into his years and he and his wife had been unable to have children, but God made a promise. He said, you shall have a son. And he attached a very important promise, one that applies to all of us, to that promise. He said, through that son, through that descendant, all the nations of the world shall be blessed. Now, nine months went by, no babies. More months went by, years went by, no baby. So his wife, Sarah, said, you know what? I've, I've got a plan. Take my servant." Hagar, she'll give us a son. So Abraham did, and of course, Hagar had a son named Ishmael, but that was not God's plans. Now to Abraham and Isaac, it it certainly seemed impossible for the Lord to do what he had promised to do. I mean, they were well into their years, and and, uh, Sarah had been barren her entire life, and so they thought they, they solved things for God. Well, that was not God's plan. Remember what we heard. God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Adultery was not going to be the way that God kept his promise. And so the Lord appeared to Abraham again and he said, you will have a son. Your wife will have a son within a year. And God was faithful he kept his promise and Sarah gave birth to Isaac and we know that Isaac gave birth to Jacob and from Jacob came the 12 tribes of Israel and from one of those tribes Judah came King David and of course from King David we trace the line of our savior Jesus Christ through whom we are blessed with forgiveness salvation and eternal life now The time of Noah and then Abraham has been several thousand years ago since those promises were made. That rainbow still shows itself occasionally. We see it. And since then, farmers have been trusting in that promise of God. Whether they realize it or not, they are. They plant the seeds and they harvest their crops just as the Lord promised. So whether one waits 25 years for the Lord to fulfill the promise of a son or whether one waits three or four months to harvest a crop, what we find in these two accounts and then throughout the scriptures is a God who is faithful, one who makes promises and one who keeps those promises. God's promises, they are sure, they are certain, and God is faithful. Now in the word of God we're going to consider this morning, we heard earlier those two parables that he told. Earthly stories with those spiritual meanings revealed to us. The first depicts the trust that a farmer has in the power of the seed. The second depicts the wonder of watching a tiny little seed placed in the ground and the wonder of the growth and the maturity and the fruit that it bears. That first parable we're told the kingdom of God is... As if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself doesn't know how, for the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. A farmer who plants the seed, Jesus says here, doesn't, doesn't know exactly how or even why it grows. No one does, right? I mean, tiny little seed, you put it in the ground. Now, we know the process, we know what's going to happen, but we don't really know the why. It, it's like the spark of life, right, in a human being. We know what happens when, when life is gone, right? When, if the heart beats and the lungs pump and the brain functions, we know that someone is alive. But, but what is that spark? At the moment of conception, when that life begins, who can define that? No one. And it's the same with the seed, right? I mean, who here among us can tell me exactly how and why that seed does what it does? Again, we know what it will do. We know the process. We've probably got you know, charts or graphs in the school behind us that show that, maybe but not the why. But that's what Jesus is talking about here. The farmer puts it in the ground, and what does he do? He goes to bed at night, he gets up in the morning, he doesn't know why it's going to grow, but he knows it will. His trust is in the power of that seed. He goes about his daily business, and he knows that the plant will come, and then the leaves will come out, and then eventually the fruit, and eventually he will put his sickle to the harvest. Now, Jesus is not giving his disciples or us this morning a lesson in agriculture. He's revealing to us the truth of the power of his holy word, the truth of the Bible, the scriptures as we know them. We heard earlier the Apostle Paul talking about kind of the same thing, although he doesn't mention seeds, but he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but who gave the increase? Not Paul, not Apollos. God gave the increase. It doesn't matter who plants or who waters, it is God who gives the increase. The faithful preachers and teachers of God's holy word are simply casting the seed upon the ground. What a blessed privilege has been given to each and every one of us to be sowers and waterers and caretakers and nurturers and harvesters of the bounty that is produced by the power of God's holy word. Today, you are, sorry, y'all are installing a, a new teacher today, a farmer in your midst. Now, others have planted. He'll do some planting as well. He'll continue to water and to tend and to nurture and nourish the faith that is growing by the power of God's holy word. What a privilege he has to be called by God to plant the seed <clears throat> God's saving word, and then to be there to to tend and nurture the saving faith that the Holy Spirit has created. Never forget, Josh, what a great privilege that is. And to the members of this congregation, don't ever forget what a great privilege you have been given of providing the prayers and the support and the resources that your new farmer and, and the other teachers here will need. To tend and to nourish and care for the precious blood bought souls that God has brought to this congregation. Jesus goes on with another parable. He says, To what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we picture it? He says it's like a mustard seed. When it's sown on the ground, it's it's smaller than all the other seeds on the earth. Just a tiny little speck of a seed. But when it is sown, it grows. It grows up, and it becomes greater than all the other herbs, all the bushes and trees in the garden. It shoots out these great big branches, and within these branches, the birds of the air, they come, and they build nests, and they come there for the shade. It's a picture, again, of, of the power of a seed, the Word of God, right? Which seems like a small thing. There are a lot of varieties of of mustard seed and and mustard plants in and around Palestine. Some grew in the wild, but some were cultivated for for, uh, purposes in the kitchen and and medicine and things like that. Jesus mentions uh, the mustard seed a few times. At one point his his disciples asked him, he said, Increase our faith. And Jesus said, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted by the sea. And it would obey you. That was recorded by Luke. Matthew uh, uh, records another account. He says, Assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Jesus is using a a uh, an expression I've read that was common in the in the in those days. Everybody was familiar with the, the tiny, seemingly insignificance of a, of a mustard seed and so whenever a conversation was was taking place that had to do with something small and insignificant they would say oh it's like a mustard seed something along those lines here Jesus is using that tiny little seed to illustrate for us or to assure us of the sure and certain growth of his kingdom when the word of God is faithfully taught think about it for a minute that the kingdom of God that the New Testament church It started out very small. Well, we can go all the way back, right? Before the New Testament church. We can go back to the Garden of Eden when it was just Adam and Eve and a fall into sin and a serpent in the tree. And God spoke that he would send the descendant of the woman to defeat, to crush the head of Satan. It started out with those simple little words. As a rule, the work of the church is oftentimes viewed as rather trivial and insignificant. So consider that New Testament church. We we kind of mark the uh, Pentecost Sunday right as the as the beginning of the New Testament church. Well, think of the uh, the first apostles that Jesus sent out. Talk about insignificant individuals in the in the scheme of things when you look at the world. They were fishermen. We assume uneducated men. A bunch of commoners. Think of Jesus himself. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? A carpenter's son who was crucified and hung on a tree. Think about the message that they were sent out to to preach and to teach. Think about it from, from the world's point of view. Full payment for sin through the death. Of a carpenter's son a spiritual resurrection to new life simply believe and be baptized and you'll be saved foolishness to the wise of the world in the eyes of wise men nothing could have been more or less likely to be successful nothing could have been more offensive or ridiculous or foolish but we know right that once planted that seed grew and the kingdom of God grew we're told that we're told that on that first pentecost sunday 3000 people were brought to faith the seed was planted and the kingdom grew what seemed to be a small or small and insignificant to the world had the power to change lives change the world really We're told that the day after Pentecost, or shortly after Pentecost, over 5,000 were added to the church. So within just a few weeks' time, you had 8,000. From a handful of believers in Jesus to a church of 8,000. Wherever God's servants went preaching the gospel, sowing the seed, it proved to be the power of God unto salvation. The Apostle Paul, his bold words, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The promise that was given to us by Isaiah, or through Isaiah, where God said that my word shall not, or, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. And God still uses this same powerful word today. You know, God's word hasn't weakened. God himself hasn't weakened. The Holy Spirit hasn't weakened in all of these years. And his word is just as powerful today as it was way back when. And so we, like Paul, we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block. To the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. That which is true of the church as a whole is also true then of each member of it. The beginnings of God's grace in the life of the believer may start out small, seemingly insignificant to the world around us, but packed with the power of God. Think of a handful of water over the head of an infant, an infant who can't even hold up his own head baptized in the name of the father son and holy spirit and think about what god promises to do through that he gives that child a new heart adopts him into his family washes away all of his sins think of the guilt-ridden sinner who with a repentant heart turns to the lord in faith and rejoices in the forgiveness he has in jesus christ where there is faith that's being watered and nurtured, there is growth, growth in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, though most won't admit it or don't admit it, the kingdom of God has an effect on the rest of society as well. That's at least in part what is what is meant or what Jesus is revealing when he talks about the birds coming and nesting in that, in that mustard plant. Think of God's kingdom as Jesus pictures it here as a great big tree with branches stretching out with the grace and the mercy and the love of our Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, in our history books, we can learn that that secular education did absolutely nothing for the moral condition of the world around it. In fact, some would argue that it did just the opposite. Think of people like Plato and Aristotle and Socrates. They had little or no impact on the morality of those around them. In fact, again, you could argue that that their philosophy did just the opposite. You think of our society today, and you don't have to look too far or think too hard to see morality in this country anyways going down the tubes, and you think about what's being taught in so many public schools in the name of education that is just the opposite of what we would think of as improving morality. But that which has improved every society, that which has improved improved every culture, every family, every relationship under its influence. Not Plato, not Socrates, but the gospel of Jesus Christ. This nesting place is also a great gospel message for God's children, for believers. It's a place of safety and comfort and courage and hope and strength. It's the great big tree of God's grace and mercy, his love and his strength. It was Jesus who invited us here. He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and here in Jesus you will find rest for your souls. So how is it that God's kingdom provides such shelter, such protection, such hope, such courage for the next day, the next week, the next month and for eternity. One way faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, the faithful preaching and teaching of God's word, the gospel and word and sacrament by his word. He creates faith by his word. He sustains and feeds and nourishes and strengthens faith, faith to trust in the promises that he has made promises to save us for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but shall have everlasting life that's god's promise to you and it is sure and it is certain believe on the lord jesus christ and you will be saved you and your household that's god's promise to you and it is sure and it is certain jesus speaking to his disciples Said, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That is God's promise to you. God says, I will work all things together for your good because I have called you and you love me. That is God's promise to you. Looking beyond the here and the now, Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That is God's promise to you. These are the promises of God's holy word to his children. These are the branches of that great big tree The tree of God's kingdom where we come to find shelter and shade, grace and mercy, comfort and security, peace and hope, forgiveness, salvation and eternal life. Today you install a new farmer, a new teacher, you install my son. This may seem rather small and insignificant to the world around us. I walked through the parking lot today. I didn't see any satellite trucks emblazoned with CNN or Fox News. They don't care. This is just a small congregation in West Columbia, South Carolina, part of a little tiny church body, the CLC, based out of some state up north, installing a new teacher in their relatively small school. But what you're doing here today What you're doing in those classrooms hour after hour day after day week after week month after month semester after semester year after year after year according to God's Word is anything but insignificant in the classes taught the devotions spoken everyone every word taken derived based upon the Word of God you are planting the seed watering the seeds tending and nurturing that spirit-given faith that leads to eternal life. With eternity in mind, and we're talking the difference between heaven and hell, name for me one thing more significant than that. You can't. So today, we sing to the Lord a new song. For he is doing marvelous things through the power of of the truths of his saving word faithfully taught to the members and the children here at Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church. Amen. Please rise. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Amen.